Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you're all doing well this morning. You can take your Bibles and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as that's where we'll be this morning. And we'll be looking at verses 12 through 26 in this chapter this morning of 1 Corinthians 12, which we've entitled Indispensable, as you will see as we work through this passage why we've titled it that. We've read the passage already in our scripture reading, and we know right away that the focus is on the reality of the body of Christ, which is the Lord's church today, and how we need to function together in the one body. A couple of years ago, um, my grandfather passed away back in 2019, and he is uh, with the Lord now and undoubtedly rejoicing with our Lord, but my grandfather had a rough go of it in those last few years. His body was plagued by diabetes and other issues, and for those of you who have wrestled with diabetes, you know that little problems can become big concerns. A little sore can become a real problem of concern, physically speaking, and uh, as we would visit it from time to time over the years leading to his eventual home going, uh, you could see him wrestling with those things. And I believe it was that same year he had to, he lost both of his legs right about around the knee. You know, he had to, he lost that part of his body on both legs. And then we watched him, you know, seek to try to adjust to that life. Um, already wrestling with keeping independence and keeping some measure of health, and now without the two legs, it just got even more com- more difficult, more complex for him on a day-to-day basis. And and then he had to live his the remaining time of his life there in that situation and trying to continue to fight those health maladies and so forth. And we all know, and we can all we know people who have had similar issues, and we've went through challenging health uh, crises and so forth. We all know that our physical bodies don't last forever. We all, we're all very well aware of that, and that we, as we age, we will face the reality of death one day. We will continue to face trouble in our physical bodies. We'll continue to have those aches, pains, injuries, disease, and all those challenges will continue to be always battling against, if you will, the unity of our physical body (laughs) as we, in a sense, try to take care of our health and diet and exercise and maybe be on medication. And we're always kind of fighting that that ongoing battle. But we know uh, that ultimately this life is not our home and this body is not going to last forever as it is. And we look forward to the resurrection and we look forward to eternity with the Lord. But because of our own experience with health and with our bodies, and in, even as in like stories as I shared about my grandfather, um, we know intimately that when one part of our body isn't working or is hurting, our whole body is suffering, right? You don't just, when your finger has a pain, you don't just say, well, life's really, really rough for this one finger here. You, know, you, know, you, you feel that. You, life is, can be rough for you if a finger's broken or a hand's broken or an arm's broken, right? Your whole body is suffering with that. 
And so our physical bodies teach us the necessity of every part, every system working in harmony, in health. And that's when we feel at our best. And the point of our passage today is that that same reality translates to the church, the body of Christ. God wants us to work in harmony and in health together. And we will look at that as we explore this passage this morning. And let's look, beginning with verses 12 and 13 of 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul writes, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one body. And the first thing that we need to call our attention to in this passage and in Paul's flow of thinking is that God places each believer into one body. Right away we have a call to unity, to consideration of one another. We know already this had been a tremendous issue for the church that was in Corinth. This epistle to the Corinthians was written to that group of saints and they had a lot of challenges, a lot of division, a lot of not considering the needs and the best for one another, but only looking at themselves and only doing what benefited them personally and walking after the flesh, as we might say, striving with one another. It was not harmonious. It was not healthy. It was a body out of joint with one another. A body dislocated, if you will. That was what the Corinthians were facing. Paul Again, correcting their understanding. Here in this context, he has turned his attention to the different gifts that members of the body of Christ have and helping them to think correctly about the diversity in their own church, the diversity of gifts and roles that people fill and how each one's important. And he starts with the first couple of verses here, 12 and 13, how that we are all in one body. That's what God has done. This is the work of God. He's placed each believer into one body. And he uses right away this idea of the physical body to illustrate that. So we want to understand that the church today is the body of Christ. That is how scripture identifies us as God's called out people. We understand we're not national Israel. We don't have the same hope and destiny as they did as a special nation. We are a new entity. We are a group of people that Jesus Christ has redeemed by his own blood and called us to himself through the gospel. And the word church means to call out, ecclesia in the Greek, call out people. It's not used uh, right here in this verse or anything, but that's what he's alluding to. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23 says... And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. And the he, by the way, is uh, Jesus Christ. He's the head of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And that's a very clear passage where it's defined that what God calls the church today is the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, you could kind of say, has sort of two aspects to it. We have the universal body of Christ 
that everyone that's ever been saved since God began with the church, the body of Christ, everyone that's been saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ is a member of that one body, spanning all time and all geography. All the way back to the Apostle Paul, back to that era, we're all one body. But there's also the reality that all the truths about the body of Christ are lived out locally. What you see Paul do in his ministry is go to a place and establish a local church, a local manifestation of the body of Christ. And he writes to these local bodies and gives them all this information and instruction like, you've got to live as a body. You've got to be a body. And that's what he's doing here. He's talking to this local group of Corinthians and he's saying, you're part of the body of Christ. You have to live like the body of Christ here in your, in your local area with your fellow saints that are with you. There's that local aspect that you see in Scripture. And so that is what he's talking about. We are one body. And again, we, we know our physical bodies. And our physical bodies are, are really marvelous when you think about it. As, as David said in the Psalms, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Look at the complexity of your own body. Look at the diversity. You have fingers, hands, joints, tendons, ligaments, a nervous system. You have blood vessels, part of your cardiovascular system. You have a respiratory system that Pastor Lynn knows so well about. <laughs> and, how, and, and as you look at each system of the body, there's specialized cells and specialized tissues and specialized functions. And if you even took just one little piece of that away everything else begins to crumble. You know, there's some modern medical wonders today and, you know, that we can live with missing organs and, 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 and our pieces of organs at times. You know, there's certain things you can, you can actually live with one kidney, right, instead of two. If you have to, you may be on some medication or dialysis or something, but you can do it. But we know it's not ever ideal. It's, it's dealing with the infirmities of the body, but, but our bodies are so fearfully and wonderfully made. And if any little member suffers, then we know the whole body can start to malfunction, right? And really cause a lot of problems. And again, that's what Paul's saying to these people. In the same way, so is Christ. So is your local church. If, if you're going to disregard certain members of your body, you're not going to be all that God wants you to be. You're going to be like the church that's limping through. You know, because you're not, you're not physically healthy and living in harmony. And that's what, again, what he's challenging them with. And again, the idea, you are in one body together. This should be the basis of your relationships and how you think of one another, as he says in verse 12. And he says how this happens in verse 13. Believers are baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. Verse 13 again. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. So what Paul is unpacking there very quickly in this passage, it's explained elsewhere, is that at the moment an individual trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior... And they put their faith in the reality that Jesus died for their sins, was buried and rose again the third day. All kinds of miracles happen right in that moment. 
that most people are totally unaware of. But for the individual's heart and their spiritual life, there's grand miracles occurring. One of those things is that the Holy Spirit comes into that person to dwell within them. And the Spirit puts them into Jesus Christ in a positional sense. And now their identity is always in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ becomes their very identity. And, and that all happens at the moment of salvation. So he's, he's going back to that and telling the Corinthians, don't you know this is the greater reality, what the Spirit did for you? This is what connects you. You know, as the blood is the life source of the physical body, the Spirit is the life source of the body of Christ. And it connects each of us because he indwells in each of us that believe. And he's put all of us into that one entity, the body of Christ. And we all share that identity of being in Christ and identified with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, as Romans 6 talks about. Turn with me for a moment to Ephesians chapter 4. It's another great passage in our epistles here that explain the realities of these things. And let's look at Ephesians chapter 4 for just a moment here. And you can notice some similar thought. Paul's calling the Corinthians to unity and to a, an appreciation and consider another in their everyday body life as they function as a church, recognizing the importance of everybody. And a similar thing he's doing in Ephesians 4. He starts in verse 1 and he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See the idea of unity there? And then he goes into all the things you should have in common. <laughs> in verse 4, there is what? One body. There's one ultimate church. We're all related to Christ. We have one body. And one Spirit. And we know the Spirit there now, that the one Holy Spirit, the one that put us into the body, and the one that indwells each of us. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. We're all looking forward to the same thing, to go home to be with the Lord forever in heaven, and our new bodies being rewarded by Him, living in glory with Him, things we can't even comprehend. can barely ascribe words to some of these ideas. He says, one Lord, Jesus Christ, one faith, our faith in Christ and what that entails. One baptism, our identity in Jesus Christ that the Spirit did. One baptism, the spiritual baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. You will always have more in common with members of the body of Christ than you have differences because of the reality of the spiritual things that happen to us the moment we become saved in Jesus Christ. So what Paul's doing is explaining these realities, reminding the Corinthians, no, you are one body. You have one spirit. This one spirit put you all in one body. Why are you treating each other this way then, is his message to them. And we go back to 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen, and he says, this is true whether you're Jewish or Greek. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter your ethnic religious background. Whether you're slave or free, doesn't matter your social status, your personal wealth status, whatever. The greatest thing is what you have in Jesus Christ. And that's what bonds us together. 
this common identity, this common relationship we have with God, the common relationship we have one another. Commonality among believers in position and identity, which is meant to transform into working in harmony in the body of Christ together. You know, I think, I think of a passage like this and his call for unity and, and working past divisions. And it reminds me of Israel's history that you read about in the Old Testament. Israel's history. It's interesting. One of the things that we don't talk a lot about is the fact that Israel was actually divided into 12 tribes, right? The man Jacob, whose late name was changed to Israel, he had 12 sons. And they all became a, a tribe within the nation of Israel. And when you read books like Joshua and Judges and some of those books in, in, after the Torah, you see division amongst the tribes. They sometimes fight against each other. They have a hard time getting along. It's, it's really kind of hard to bring them together. As tr- the judges and the prophets of Israel would tr- at times try to bring them together, and it, you know, it's kind of like the old expression, kind of like herding cats. You know, like, it's like trying to get some commonality here. Even though they, they were under the same covenant and the same promises, bringing them together was a challenge. And you see issues of warring against each other, fighting against each other. And eventually, you know, they cried out for a king when, when the prophet Samuel was there. And they thought a king would give them a higher status, more power. And maybe there was a thought that we, we'll, we'll, we'll work better together if we have one person that can tell us what to do. Right? So they had a king. that God chose King Saul to answer that, even though he said that they shouldn't ask for this, but they did anyway, so he allowed it, and he gave him King Saul. And that didn't go so well, did it? As you go back and you read those books in First uh, and Second Samuel and so forth. <clears throat> Saul eventually walked away from the Lord in a lot of ways. David was eventually put on the throne. David has, had his issues, but he did have a united kingdom. The tribes were kind of working together under David. And then Solomon took over. And for a while, things were good. They were united. They all worshipped at the temple. They listened to the Levites. They were the, the, for a time, as the Bible speaks, they were the wealthiest nation on the planet under Solomon's glory. But that unity, what was it based on? It was based more on like political commonality or what we can get out of this. It wasn't true heart change. And what happened? Solomon married a bunch of, as the Bible calls, a bunch of strange women or foreign women. And, and his heart was turned to their gods. And he built, he built temples to all these different idols to try to please all these different women and, and make alliances and all this kind of stuff. And it got him distracted from the one true God. And because of that, the next, in the next generation, the country erupted into civil war again. Under his son Rehoboam, who wanted to overtax the people... And they rebelled, and and the ten northern nations split off, formed their own confederacy under under Jeroboam. And then you see you had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And still the rift was basically tribal. It was the tribes split apart from each other, generally speaking. And you know it was never restored. It never came back together as one united kingdom under God and for his glory. You know, we've we got to be careful basing commonality on, you know, political things or economic things or personal wealth, materialistic viewpoints, whatever the case is. 
unity in the body of Christ must be based on our relationship to God, spiritual truth, the position we have in Jesus Christ. God told Israel, you need a new heart. That's what he told them after they had split into two different kingdoms and they, both kingdoms went downhill, one faster than the other. The northern nation went faster than the southern nation, but they both went downhill from, from David's and Solomon's reign. And God told them in that period, one of these days I'm going to make a new covenant. And I will put my spirit in you. And I will write my law on your heart. And I will give you a new heart. And that's the promises of the new covenant. And, and what would happen eventually in Israel's future is that once they finally had that new heart and new spirit, guess what there would be? Unity under the Lord. But that hasn't happened yet for them. That still awaits them in the future. But today... God is now using the body of Christ, an entity comprised of anyone who comes to Christ. And immediately when we trust Christ, God puts his spirit in you. And he begins to renew your mind and your heart day by day as you walk by faith in him. So that the body of Christ today has the potential to have spiritual unity in a group of believers. What Israel really couldn't ever possess, we can have in the Lord. Because he is here with us and in us. And that reality is a, is a reality that's there. That's what Paul's point is here. We move on to verse 14 and through 19. Let me reread this passage. He says, For in fact the body has not one member but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Paul starts speaking, I don't know, almost in hyperbole, trying to get the point across and understand that Basically, what we have in our outline, God creates each member uniquely. Each one of you that have trusted Jesus Christ, you are special to God and to the body of Christ. You have a uniqueness to you. You have a special role and ministry and giftedness that God has determined for you and wants to use you for the glory of himself and for his purpose. But what do we tend to do? (laughs) We don't tend to look at it the same way. We tend to compare and contrast and feel inferior or superior and let the flesh come in and broil up all kinds of issues and controversy just like was happening in the Corinthian church. But no, instead the Lord unifies diverse members in the body of Christ. The Lord unifies diverse members in the body of Christ. Paul's point here really is, you know, we're not, we're not going for sameness. We're not going for uniformity. That's not what God wants. That's not the good pleasure of his will. That's not his design. That's not what pleases him. God wants to use all the diversity of the body of Christ for his glory. And Paul goes right back into the body illustrations. And it's kind of comical to read, right? He says there's many members in a body, in verse 14, which we've already talked about. And then he gives these hypothetical situations like, what if the foot was saying, 
saying, well, I'm not a hand, so I guess I'm not really any use to God. I'm just a lowly old foot down here at the bottom of the barrel. Or the ear saying, uh, well, I'm not an eye, so I guess I really can't do God any good. I'm really not part of the body. Uh, maybe I don't really belong here. I'm just an ear. I can't see anything. I just have to listen to all the junk. <laughs> right? He's like saying, it doesn't work that way. You, you would struggle. You had both hands and no feet. That could be, life would be challenging. And it is for some people. If you have your eyes but no ears, we know people that, that have that malady and they have to work past it and it's challenging. It, it's something you have to work around, right? But we get into this illustration of people who sometimes start to feel inferior because I don't have the, the things maybe everybody's talking about. And it happens in churches, it happens in organizations, it happens in our personal life. We get into this mentality, we start looking, what's somebody else doing? How's God using them? Boy, I wish God used me like that. I don't know. God don't see God using me. I don't know. We get into that, start feeling inferior. Now, now again, in the Corinthian church, it was all about the gifts. He's talking about the gifts. And they were all about tongues. We talked about that last time. We'll see that going forward. They were putting tongues at the very top. Well, if you can speak in tongues, that's awesome. And then kind of tearing it down from there. And, and then what do you do? You, you're overvaluing this. And you're undervaluing what other people are able to do for the glory of God. That's a wrong and fleshly perspective. And that's what he's correcting again. Don't you dare undervalue who God has made you to be in his body. You are special to God. You are unique. He has created you uniquely. And you are here with your role and your ministry and your giftedness for such a time as this. That's the reality of what God's doing in our lives and in the body. No one is indispensable. If we're comparing ourselves to others and believing that we somehow come up short, we are believing lies. We're believing a lie there. No, instead... The Lord has placed the members into the body as he has desired. And this really goes to verse 18. Verse 18 says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And this to me maybe is the most exciting verse in this passage. When you can rest in the truth of what this passage is saying about you and your local church and what God has in store for you. He has you where he is pleased to have you. He has made you in the way that has pleased him to make you. There's no room for inferiority and superiority complexes. God has done as he pleased. As it said earlier, the spirit has gifted as he wills. God is bringing glory to himself. He's going to use you to reach others, to bring glory to himself. He has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. Now, again, you think of your physical body. God's the one that made eyes. You know, you have eyes because God made eyes. It pleased him to give you two eyes, two ears, one tongue, right? We say you should listen twice as much as you speak. <laughs> but he, he, he put the body the way he wanted it, and it functions amazingly. Yes, we have sin, we have infirmity, we have the issues, but, 
but when you see somebody that, that when, you, when you're blessed with, with some measure of health in your body, it's, it's just, it's really amazing. We could never come up with the physical body. God has made it just the way it is for his purpose. And he says, so it is in the church, the body of Christ. God has put you where you are, gifted you, created you in the way that pleased you so you can serve him where you're at and bring glory to him. I think back to another time in Israel's history beyond the divided kingdom when they were living in captivity and they were living under the rule of the Medes and the Persians. And there was a king on the throne, the emperor of the known world at that time, named Ahasuerus, or as most history books call him, Xerxes. Remember that name? And there was a time in the reign of Ahasuerus that some of his guys uh, gave them, him the idea. He had deposed his queen Vashti. And this goes back to the book of Esther. He deposed his queen Vashti because of her disobedience to him. And the other guy said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to gather up all the women of the kingdom, all the, the young and married women. And then like, you know, you, we'll find you a new wife. We'll have this big, this big to do, this big almost like contest. And we'll find you this new wife. And this plays out in the first chapter or so of the book of Esther. And Esther was this Jewish gal living there in the Persian Empire with her I believe it was uncle or cousin, Mordecai was his name. And through how things unfolded, Esther was crowned the new queen. And just for the record, that wasn't some fun-to-do beauty pageant. That was a very, in my opinion, sordid and disgusted thing they did. In that, but that's where they were at then and how they chose the new queen. But she was chosen. And you think about, you know, a young girl growing up far away from your homeland in a nation that has no appreciation of what you believe, who you are, where you came from, or anything like that. Almost like you're just a thing here. And she became the queen, obviously. And even in that role, yeah, you got some glory, you get some privilege, but you can also see she... There was fear and trepidation in her life in that book. And this big crisis arose in the book of Esther where all the Jewish people were going to be killed through the doings of Haman. We won't rehash the whole story, but the Jews, their lives were on the line. And Mordecai said, we've got to fast. And, and the idea is, it seems like they're seeking God in this. We've got to find a way of salvation from this. And Mordecai starts talking to Esther. Esther, you've got you to talk to the king. You've got to tell him this is nonsense. Don't do this. You've got you to you talk, him, talk him down here. And, and, and she's like afraid. She's afraid. And she keeps delaying talking to the king about saving her people. She keeps delaying it in the book, if you go back and read that. But she finally started to work up the courage and she was going to go into the king's throne room. And the rule was, you don't just enter into the king's throne room. If you did, here's your choices. The king raises his golden scepter, and you're accepted, and you come up. Or he doesn't, and the penalty is death. 
So you can understand some of the trepidation between just walking in uninvited because that's not how we do things here, and there's a lot at stake. But she said she worked up the courage. At some point in the book, those famous words she says, if I perish, I perish. That's courage right there. When you're willing to go forward on what you believe is right, even if everything else is against you. She walked in. The Lord was working. Ahasuerus held up the golden scepter. Esther went up. She planned a banquet for him and Haman. They came together the one time. She didn't bring it up. She set it off. Let's do another banquet. The next time they got together, she finally brought up, I plead for my people. This Haman guy, he's, he's the one that's looking to kill us all. <clears throat> and it turned things around. She had the courage to do that. But I think of her life and her story of just what strange occurrences, what no, she would never have written her life that way. Right? It just, it was, it was demeaning and ugly at times. But what that book taught her and anyone that reads it is, God is working. He's always working behind the scenes and through his people. And we don't always detect it at first or we don't fully understand it. We don't, we're not told all that's going on and all that's going to happen. But the point is we can always trust him, that he's doing as he pleased. And he had positioned Esther in that time and in that place. And even through the hardship of her life, he used her when she simply followed him and saved a whole nation, a whole ethnicity group, the Jewish people. See, it just illustrates what God can do if you just walk in faith with him. Just, Lord, my life is for you. You gave all for me, I'll give all for you. It's going to play out how you please, not how I please. Let me just surrender my, my life, my body, my gifts, all that I am for you and your glory. And let the Lord work. That's the attitude he seeks. That kind of of walk, just a walk of faith and trusting him. He's put us where he wants us for such a time as this. If we perish, we perish. But let's just serve him in what he's called us to do. We come now to the last portion of these verses, beginning with verse 20. And he says, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And that word could be translated indispensable. You can't do without. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. God teaches each member is essential. He places us into body. He's created us uniquely. Each one of us is essential, indispensable, necessary. 
Each member in the body of Christ is indispensable to God's design. Again, what part of your physical body do you just want to cast off? Which, which parts of the physical body are dispensable? Like, well, I really didn't need two feet anyway. You know, you wouldn't say that, even though some people face that kind of reality, but you wouldn't choose that. You, 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 you just naturally cherish your physical body, and you protect it, and you shield it, and you seek health, and you seek well-being. You don't treat your arm like a disposable candy wrapper and throw it in the garbage when you're done with it. You don't, you don't think that way. And he says you need to have that same thinking for each member in your local church. Nobody here is indispensable. Just as much as you wouldn't want to lose a hand or a feet, nor should you want to lose your brother or sister in Christ. Everyone is necessary. Verse 20 again. There's many members, yet one body. Again, there's unity in diversity. It's not sameness. It's not uniformity. But it's each one is special in God's way, and we come together in the Spirit, and we work together. He gets into verse 22, and he corrects the thinking that we can do without what we deem to be weaker brethren, weaker brothers and sisters in the Lord. Well, you know, you know, they really don't do much. You know, about all they can do is, I don't know, push a dust mop or something. Do we really need them? I mean, is it that big of a deal? Now, I know you, that would put, that puts, I mean, the fear of God comes in your heart to hear something like that probably. You don't want you nowhere near that kind of a th- thinking because you know how unbiblical and unscriptural it is, how unspiritual it is. But that's how some of them were thinking with the gifts. Well, we'll put your tongues, you're up here, you know, helps. Almost off the chart, but we'll still put you in at the bottom. You know, that's, that's kind of how they were thinking. And he says, that's not, how, that's not how the body works. You need each member. No matter how small, how weak you may think it to be, and that's the word there in verse 22, he says, seem to be, which is the word for you think it's weaker, but you're wrong because God has designed each member. God has placed each member. So you're wrong in your thinking if you're thinking that way. We need each other. That's the biggest point of this passage. We need each other. Each one's indispensable. For a body to be all that God wants it to be, we need each member. Living in a spirit of grace and liberty with the freedom to minister and to exercise their gifts as God has blessed, all for his glory. That's what God calls us to. And then he gets into this interesting talk here about the unpresentable parts, and bestowing honor and modesty on these things. And we understand in our physical body, uh, there's aspects of our physical body, you know, we keep covered, right? There's immodest things. We know about this. We understand this. Uh, We might even think of things less honorable as far as like, you know, we're not meant to show your whole physical body in public, right? These are truths that go all the way back to Genesis when God said, we'll give you some clothes, (laughs) you know. And he uses that idea, like, in our physical body, what do we do with, with the parts of us that we feel are immodest and, you know, we don't, you don't show in public and that kind of a thing? You clothe them. You cover them. You don't destroy them. You don't get rid of them. They're, they're necessary, too. It's part of your body, right? But you, you, show, you, you clothe them with honor and modesty, and that's how you treat the members that you may think are less presentable. 
Well, basically, the application is for those in the church, if, if, we're, if people are struggling, if there's people that, you know, we think are struggling in some spiritual way, you don't cast the person off. You come and you clothe them, as it were. You come and you surround them. You come and you honor them. That's how you treat those you may think are weak or unpresentable. People, you, oh, I don't, you know, keep our visitors away from so-and-so or something like that. You know, we know that may say something wrong or so, whatever, whatever the, the thought may be. No, we don't do that. We don't cut anybody off. We come and we, we enclose them in honor and in dignity. And we treat them as the special people of God that they are. That's how you handle that. You don't, get, you don't think... We don't need that person. It'd be better off if they weren't here. Let's just get rid of it. No, 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 no. That's not how God's body works. That's not how the body works. You give more honor. And there's an interesting something here, too. At the end of verse 24, it says, God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. God is in the business of honoring those who do not receive honor. Because he sees all. He is the God who sees. You're doing something in secret. Nobody else sees. No other brother or sister in Christ sees. God sees and honors it. This may even allude to the judgment seat of Christ. When you're going to get there and you're going to see people who served God in in places and times that you didn't even know were going on. And he's going to honor it publicly. And that should teach us to be in the habit of honoring and appreciating those who don't normally receive honor. In the body, there's always the people that are more visible and you hear more about, right? And that's kind of how the Corinthians were thinking. If you could speak in tongues, everybody hears it, everybody sees it, everybody's like, oh, wow, that's really cool. And what God would say is, yeah, but the the, the widow who prays in her room at night, that's as special to me as anything, and I see that. Are we in the habit of honoring those who don't usually get honored? When you're, when you're up front in a ministry or something, you, you already receive honor. You already, you already get to be heard. You already get to be seen. But what about the people that are unheard and unseen in the local church? Whatever capacity it is, how they're working, we should be in the habit of honoring, appreciating, and thanking all members for their service to the Lord. God sees, God honors. And I think he calls us to do that as well, to honor others. And verse 25 says that this whole reason is that there should be no schism in the body. This schism means like a tear, like if you just tore your garment. If you, you don't want the body to be torn asunder from one another. So he teaches these principles. We're one body because of one spirit. We have one Lord. We're to care for each other. No one's indispensable. Nobody's greater. Nobody's inferior. Let's work together for God's glory. There's not to be these divisions and schisms. And he talks about having the same care. See, and that's, and that's our last point here. Each member is called to care for one another. To care for one another. But that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. He calls us to come alongside each other. 
to feel the pain that others are going through, to rejoice with those that are having victory or something special, to come alongside and, and simply esteem them better than ourselves. That old same lesson, esteem others better than ourselves. He calls us to that in the body of Christ. Again, with your physical body, if one part hurts, one little back muscle is hurting, then your whole body could be shut down and bedridden, right? Until you get to the chiropractor or something. One little thing can, can put you, lay you right out. Just one little body member because of pain and anguish and so forth. And again, when something hurts, what do we do? We embrace it. We shield it. We care for it. We do whatever we can to help with the pain and to help with healing and to bring back, again, the experience of the unity of the physical body. And again, the same lessons apply to the body of Christ, the church. We come alongside. We... we do what we can for the person. We point them to Christ in their pain, we, but we walk alongside them. And if necessary, as Romans 12 says, we weep with those who weep. You know, that might be something that a lot of people don't honor and don't see and don't think about. When a member of the body of Christ is willing to weep with their brother or sister, but God sees it. And then also to rejoice with one another. You know, What's the flesh want to do? When somebody else is honored, what's the flesh want to do? <laughs> flesh like, where'd my honor? I helped. You know, I, well, I do this. You know, that's where the flesh wants to take you, right? And you're thinking. No, rejoice with those who rejoice is what the other part of that verse in Romans 12 says. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's how we care for one another. Now, that's not really that complicated, is it? <laughs> that's not really that, that uh, grandiose to just simply come alongside and where's a person at and meet them there and just come alongside them and be a brother or sister to them. That's, that's how the body can function. Don't get caught up in inferiority. Don't get caught up in superiority. Get caught up in what Jesus Christ is doing through each individual for the glory of God and for the growth of the body of Christ. You know, all of us, we, all of us have smartphones, maybe not all of us, Maybe all of us. <laughs> but we have smartphones, right? You pull out a smartphone, you pull out your camera app, you're going to take a picture. And almost every phone app has all kinds of like special effects you can, you can put on a picture. Some are called stickers. So you can take a picture of somebody, make them look like a cat, or make them look like a clown, or put a party hat on them, or at times even distort them like a, like a funhouse mirror at a, at, a, at a fair or a circus, and you can make them really tall and skinny, or really round maybe, or whatever the case is, tall, short. You can disfigure them some way, and it looks funny, comical, that kind of a thing. We all have those on our phone. We probably all got in trouble with those at times. <laughs> but it's interesting because in all those things, you, you distort the body some way. You add something to it, take something away, and it looks, and it's for humor, for fun. But uh, it's interesting because you wonder when we come together as a church and we're the body of Christ, like, what kind of a sticker are we putting on? how people view the church. What kind of an image are they getting of us? Because we all get to come in and add our little effect to it, how we act, how we speak to each other, how we treat each other. We're all adding an effect to the image that people see, the picture that they could take of our church. We add something to it. And so the question would be, when people look at the church today, does it look strange and disconnected and disproportionate and weird and a little bit off-putting? 
Or does it look like the body and the head match up and there's a picture of harmony and health that draws people to the picture? That's really our choice as we, as we live every day as a member of the body of Christ and what we bring to it. We can give the world a picture of how Jesus Christ works through his church. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this passage, Lord, which reminds us of how important every member of the body of Christ is, Lord. And that word that I've latched onto is indispensable because you've made each of us special. You have a purpose for each one. And may each one here just have the freedom to follow your leading in their life and, their, and, and know their ministry and how they can serve you in the body and in this world, Lord. Uh, just speak to each of our hearts in that way, Lord, that we can continue to minister as a body together, Lord having unity, even though we, are a, we have many differences. We love you, we praise you, and thank you for our time of worship today. And we pray this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.